0: been quite the morning, I must say. Um, some of you know me, some of you know me quite well, uh, some of you don't. Actually, many of you don't. Uh, I am uh, Judd Brooks, I'm the son of your pastor, and I happen to be a pastor uh, as well down the road in Brentwood, and one of the advantages of being uh, a pastor in the same town as your, as your pops is that when he is sick or can't make it, uh, you can fill in. Uh, and one of the disadvantages of being a pastor in the same town as your dad is that sometimes when he was sick or can't make it, uh, you can fill in at about two hours' notice. So um, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I am teasing. Um, but I need to tell you, this has been a crazy morning. Uh, anytime you get a text at 6 a.m. that says, call me from your dad on Sundays, it's Is disconcerting and um, so first and foremost I was obviously concerned for him uh, and for his health. Uh, This is not uh, pancreatic related, this is back. Uh, Yesterday we were at the pool, noticed that he was in a lot of pain and and really didn't register that this may be happening this morning uh, with me because I figured he'd just tough it out and uh, received the text that he was in excruciating pain with his back. He is, I believe on, uh, you lost him, on FaceTime. And so he'll be uh, on FaceTime with us this morning, and so um, why don't we pray for him? How about that? Let's do that right now. He's at home uh, in pain, and, and he needs the Lord's peace and healing uh, in his body. So Lord Jesus, great healer, uh, would you come uh, near now to uh, this church's pastor and my, my, my dad as he is in pain? Would you heal? Would you... Uh, let him rest uh, well uh, today and, and this, this week. Get into uh, doctors that, that would, uh, would know how to address this uh, decade or so long uh, ailment in his, in his back and, and, uh, and look for a long-term solution. Uh, God, uh, we do ask uh, this uh, with sincerity, and we believe that you can heal him. And so please do, uh, please do. Uh, he has ministry to do here and uh, work to do uh, for your glory, and uh, so we would ask that you would not uh, allow this to hinder that ministry any longer. We pray in the name of Christ, Christ alone, a very amen. We agree as a church and say amen. Uh, we also, uh, blessed, we have a few Christchurchers that came, so this is what's crazy. I, I show up to my church, Christ Church. we have a 9 a.m. service, uh, walk into the building and there's no power. Uh, this morning, and so um, I think the Lord kind of knew what He was doing in orchestrating that tree to fall on that power line. So my church had to be canceled, so I could come over here to to preach here. And so, or else I'd be walking in the door right about now, and um, and I wouldn't have been able to worship with you and prepare in advance. So uh, that worked out well. So we have a few Christchurchers here. You guys, just a little uh, fair warning here: you're going to be hearing the same sermon you heard two weeks ago. Uh, so just ask the Holy Spirit to kind of renew that, you know, in you, and um, uh, I believe He will, and there's a reason that I decided to go here instead of do the sermon that I was going to preach this morning at Christ Church, and uh, and I just, I feel feel as though this is where the Lord wants us. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. We've been studying as a church, Philippians, for uh, a couple of months, and this particular passage, I believe, to be... Uh, of of verity, of of importance, of great significance and value for the Christian, for the believer in Jesus. Um, I got to tell you this as well, though, church, Um, uh, just a little update, brief update, Christ Church is alive and well and healthy and growing, and uh, so much of it we can just um, praise, of course, the Lord for, but also you uh, as a church, Uh, one of the most instrumental and significant churches in sending us out six years ago, but I realized this uh, just a couple weeks ago that we are missing something at Christchurch. We're missing something I couldn't figure out, but I now know what it is, and it's a tower. <laughs> we need a tower. We Sarah and I had a, a Kentucky Derby party, first annual. We had about 30 neighbors come. We didn't even know some of them beforehand. They all came, and, and we had a Kentucky Derby party, and I was talking with one of the guys about what I do, and and I was explaining to him where our church was. It's 10 blocks from where he lives. You know, it's across from Walgreens. There's a church there. There's a church across from Walgreens? I can't envision this church. Dude, it's 10 blocks from here. And then as I'm explaining the story, I go, yeah, we came out of a church in town and country. Um, It's called West Hills, and it's got this big tower. Oh, for sure, I know the tower church. Like, you know. It's 15 minutes away. You don't, the 10 block church, you don't know, but you know West Hills. So ridiculous. We, we're building one. I'm already in touch with the architects and we got something going up quickly here. All right, let's get serious. Can I read the Bible for us? Uh, I want to read out of Philippians 2, again, verses 5 through 11. It'll be up behind me. Uh, This is the only screen that we have uh, this morning. So don't really pay much attention to that except for the scripture um, and so let's, let's read this. Would you guys stand for the reading of God's word? Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. You guys can be seated. Philippi was the first European city uh, that Paul actually had the opportunity to preach in, and it was a result of a vision that he was given in the book of Acts. And if you want to jot that down, it's a really intriguing, it's really amazing to go from Acts to the Pauline letters and to see where it lands. He was given the Macedonian call. He went to try and go preach somewhere else, and Lord said, no, I have other plans for you, much like this morning, uh, even being here. Uh, well, in Philippi, Paul met with a Jewish and God-fearing woman named Lydia. She sold purple cloth, and she was, she was likely very wealthy. Um, in fact, in Thyatira, uh, they were actually famous for their red dye. And so she was a purple or red cloth dyer. Um, they ended up meeting in her home, and along with a demon-possessed girl and a converted jailer, uh, the church at Philippi was started. I can say as a church planter, that wouldn't be the greatest start, um, but it was some people, and it was exactly who the Lord wanted to start this church. So fast forward about 10 to 14 years, and Paul had been in and out of of prison at this time, and most likely was in prison while he wrote these words in Rome. The Philippians dispatched a man by the name of Epaphroditus to Rome with a gift for Paul, likely monetary gift, and sent him, ba- and sent him back to them with this letter, Paul did. And so this week... Um, I want for these words um, out of Philippians to to do something to us. The Apostle Paul didn't send this letter to the Philippians um, without intention. And so I think for us this morning, the Lord has intentions. Every time we open his word, he has intentions. And so I would just ask that you would allow this passage to, to do something to you and for you directly from the Lord as Paul was hoping would happen for the church in Philippi, the believers in Philippi. A few weeks ago, I walked into a gas station to grab a bottle of water, and on my way, I was actually on my way to the gym, and a guy who looked uh, to be homeless, I've seen him at the corner of Brentwood and, and Forty uh, quite a bit, he was in line behind me, and he asked me about My shirt. And my shirt had the logo for my gym on it, and um, it is CrossFit. Uh, I don't mean to mention that you know, with any weirdness, but it is CrossFit because uh, you know the joke. You know how somebody, uh, you know, you know if somebody does CrossFit, like they'll tell you. Um, that was not my intention with this story, though, but it did come out. Um, so I told him where it was from, and he told me he used to work out as well, but he said, "quote only to look good for the ladies." Then he asked me, are you married? I said, yes, happily married. Three kids. He said, why are you married? How old are you? Quite a bit of gray. I'm thinking it's totally normal. I said, I'm 34 years old. He said, you're too young to be married. You need many women. I said, I disagree. That sounds confusing and horrible. It's a true story. He actually followed me out of the gas station and virtually to my car, assuming he was looking for some cash. or, And he once again just couldn't let this go. He said, really, Like I, I'm, I, I don't think marriage is good. I think, I think men do better with many women. And I said, I'm actually a pastor, and I think you need Jesus, and you need a wife. <laughs> I said, I've got to run, but you, you need to really rethink that perspective. I did invite him to church. I had not seen him. In Philippians 2, Paul, church, exhorts, the Philippians to keep Jesus' death as their central outlook in life. That's the gist of this entire text. Their central mindset for life. Instead of living to get and to get and to get, to get more women and to get more praise and to get more money to gain, the Christian is called to imitate Christ who came to give and to give and to give and to give. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And watch this, church. The gospel is the good news that we get to do that. We actually get to imitate Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the grace to live this way, it's the grace to keep you from ruining your life with many women. It's the grace you get to keep from ruining your life with more of everything you think you want that really will destroy you. I don't often use the message paraphrase translation, but I do think it's a valuable tool and resource to the church. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, I won't lay anything heavy on you, just keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In other words, we have all we need to live lives devoted to Jesus. We need not be dependent on anything else. Do we, do we believe that? Now, again, for our text this morning, uh, what you might know, what you might not know, is that Paul is actually borrowing a very common phrase from the Roman society. He's just changing the object of the phrase from Caesar to Jesus. Every tongue will profess that Jesus Christ is the kurios, Lord In the Roman colony of Philippi the current reigning curios was the emperor Nero. And so Paul is directly and subversively giving titles and claims to Jesus that most of his audience would have assumed belonged to Caesar. A few things to consider. Number 1, this would have been a direct challenge to the emperor. In fact, a local inscription in Greece states, Nero, the Lord of all the world, the Curios of all the world. And so the suggestion that every knee will bow to Jesus would certainly include the knee of Nero as well. A dangerous thing to say in the imperial world. The claim that glory is given to God the Father was also controversial, For Paul's audience, Augustus was named pater patriae, father of the fatherland. The Apostle Paul once again disagrees. Paul says if Jesus is curious, then Caesar is not. If Jesus is curious, then no one else is. If Jesus is curious, then nothing else is. Can't be. So, what's the big idea of this section? Say it with me. Say it to a neighbor. Jesus is kurios. Yeah. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's not your Savior. He's Lord. Not Caesar. Not your job. Not your comfort. Not your money. Not what someone else expects of you. None but Jesus. And so Paul connects this section to the previous one by asking us to think like Jesus did. Have this mind among yourselves, the mind of Christ. He wants our thought processes. This is like what you might call sanctification. He wants your thought processes to be like that of Jesus. He wants us to turn everything over and filter it through a kingdom perspective. That's not just church talk. He actually wants us to live this way. He invites us and empowers us to live this way. Paul then reminds us in chapter 2, verse 6, that Jesus is also fully God. He was in the form of God, it says, with all the rights and all the privileges that go with being fully God. So in other words, he is divine and he is accountable to no one but himself. But Watch this, church. He still chooses to humble himself despite being all-powerful. He is Lord. He is all-powerful. He still chooses the path of humility. So what does Jesus Christ do with all this power and authority? Even though he was entitled to these things, Jesus doesn't use them to his own advantage. He does not consider it as equality with God as something to fight for, to hold on to. Why? Why? Why would he do this? Just a quick note here, so not to let our theology get jacked here. Jesus is still kurios. By humbling himself, he's not somehow like relinquishing his lordship or his sovereign power. What's he doing? Well, here's what he's doing. This is real key. Watch this. He's showing us the only way to the kingdom period. He's showing us the only way to the kingdom. Humility. Surrender. I can't do it on my own, Father. There is no Lord but you. I need you. I'll never be able to do it on my own. Humility. Surrender. Like the hymn writer John Newton writes, I am persuaded that love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ and the brightest evidences that he is indeed our master. What are the two words he uses? Love and humility. Turn to a neighbor and say, Love and humility. It's not church talk again. This is the the persuaded, the highest attainments in the school of Christ love and humility. 19th century pastor, author Andrew Murray. Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. Some things of heaven, a little bit of heaven, nothing of heaven can live in you. Church, you know why running into a narcissistic, prideful Christian rubs you the wrong way? Because he doesn't exist. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two lords. You can't be perpetually self-centered and serve Jesus. You want to know the way of the kingdom, you need to find Jesus and see how he lived for us. Once you find Jesus, you humble yourself before him as Lord. So so we need to remember this and hear this, church, that Jesus' decision to humble himself and die on the cross took place in a specific context while he was fully, fully God. Completely God. And yet, instead of holding on to his rights and holding on to his privileges, he chose a different path. He emptied and humbled himself. And so what is the implication for us? What is the implication for us? Well, like any good disciple would, we look to our rabbi and go, yes, I want to live that way. I want that mind, Paul says, be like-minded. I want the mind of Christ. I want the heart of Christ. I want that. I wonder why we talk about the the death of Jesus so much, because we don't have that sacrificial humble heart. We need it. I believe one of the goofiest lies that evangelicals believe today is that more knowledge means you are more like Christ. That you are more mature. If we can just pack a little more knowledge in, then I will have arrived. If I can just cram in one more study or just learn a little bit more about Jesus, then I will arrive. But church, the heart of discipleship isn't, Knowledge, the heart of discipleship and following Jesus as Lord, has always been about imitation. Knowledge is actually the same lie that Adam and Eve believed. So, what's your apple? Just a little more learning, just a little more charity, just a little more church activity, and finally, I will be like God. I'll be close. To him, I will be on his level. And Jesus says, you want to be my follower, empty yourself. Don't count equality with God something to be grasped. Humble yourself and the kingdom is yours. Our theology of the holiness of God and the darkness of man, our depravity, if properly understood, will humble us before a perfectly righteous king. I say that again? That's why theology is important. We're not dismissing knowledge here. Knowledge matters. A proper theology of of God, our theology of the holiness of God and the darkness of man, if properly understood, will humble us before a perfectly righteous king. Elizabeth Elliot, wife of Christian martyr missionary, Jim Elliot writes, holiness has never been the driving force of the majority. It is, however, mandatory for anyone who wants to enter the kingdom. Imputed holiness, righteousness from our Lord. So how do we gain the kingdom? We gain the kingdom by humbling ourselves before a holy God. Now, we go to the text. What Jesus did is highlighted by the contrast with what he did not do. Paul follows this with two statements about what he did do. Instead of clinging on to his rights and titles, he emptied himself, how? By taking the form of a servant and the likeness of human form. This is where it gets really exciting. So stick with me, think about it. Nearly every superhero has two qualities. First, they have a human form, a human form like Superman or Batman or Spider-Man, right? Any kids? It's like the kids weren't paying attention. It's like, what? You said Spider-Man? But there's also a thing that made them different, right? It's their superpower. They had some kind of special power that other humans didn't have. Like Wolverine said, sometimes when you cage the beast, the beast, the, the beast gets angry. And so what happens then? Superhero comes out. How does this relate to Philippians? Well, Jesus was in the same position. Fully human, yet still having his divine attributes. Fully God. So once again, church, we're going to circle back to this. What will he do with all that he has? What will he do with his superhero-ness? Humble himself. Paul draws attention to Jesus' humility by repeating it. We often do the same thing in conversations. For example, I was driving down the road listening to music, but while I was driving down the road, and if what comes next isn't really exciting and good, you're going to be really disappointed. Paul lists two things that Jesus does, but the second is the more significant of the two. Christ Emptying himself means he took on the form of a servant. He took on human likeness. What does humbling himself look like, practically speaking? It looks like obedience to the most unthinkable, cruel kind of death you could possibly imagine, crucifixion. Didn't just lay down and fall asleep and die. He was murdered. Murdered. This is the gospel, church. Watch this. That Jesus Christ was humiliated on our behalf. His humiliation is our justification, is his glorification. That he'd be willing to die so you and I wouldn't have to receive that wrath so we could be free. Now, I don't know about you, but our, our human view of power and rights has been really busted up by our sinful nature. When we have power and rights given to us, we aren't giving them up, are we? Why? Because we're comfortable with those rights. How dare you take my rights away from me? We're afraid that they might be used against us, leaving us weak. And so, while this might describe how things work in our human context, it's not how God works. We cling to them, He gives them up. So, what was the result of Christ's humiliation? Again, Yes, it was our justification, but it was also his exaltation, his glorification. And so was it worth all the pain and all the suffering and the hardship that he had to go through? Short answer, yes. Because his humiliation paved the way for his exaltation. As a result of his humiliation, Christ is exalted in ways, church, so layered and powerful and wonderful that only God could have thought them. He's going, to be, he's going to receive glory and exaltation, whether you or I sit here and give him that this morning or not. He's going to receive it. If we can just be a little bit more, that's good stuff. And as a result of his humiliation, you don't have to be. We don't have to be. You don't have to bear that weight. You don't have to bear that guilt. You don't have to bear that shame. In fact, I'm a pastor and so I know these these things. There are people in here that are and that do I see it in my people all the time. Can't let that go. The church, the gospel is the good news that God in Christ was humiliated, shamed, bloodied, and beaten so you wouldn't have to be. And yet some of us don't believe that and we do those things to ourselves every single day. We carry that weight. The gospel is, is that humiliation and guilt aren't yours anymore. Don't take that from him. It's not yours, it's his. You take that from him, you're actually taking his exaltation or attempting to at least. That's his. The good news of the gospel is that in God's economy of things, God responds to Jesus humbling himself by highly exalting him. He gives Jesus the highest name in all the earth, Lord, Kurios. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. And just for the record here, every means every one. All of them, none are excluded. Paul speaks slowly here and uses small words to spell out exactly how comprehensive this knee bowing will actually be. In fact, he uses three different realms of existence to to paint a picture that, that all things will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. The human, earthly inhabitants like you and me, the heavenly, divine inhabitants, and the inhabitants of the underworld. He even goes there. Why does he do this? He wants to make something really, really clear to Nero, to the Philippians, to everyone who would read. He wants to make something really, really clear that he's not even just talking about the human race. All of creation will bow before him one day, not just in his presence, but at the mention of his name, boom. Jesus, boom. And this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's been to some third heaven that 2 Corinthians 12 talks about. And who who knows what that even was? Sounds awesome. I'd love to go. He's been there. This is Paul. He's been there. He's seen something that we haven't seen. And he still goes, at the mention of his name, every knee bows. Every tongue confesses. So to wrap it up, What does the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus have to do with us? Remember from the beginning of this section, Paul cites, uh, I mentioned this, uh, Jesus' example as a model for us to follow, right? Like, have this mind, have the mind of Christ. As disciples and followers of Jesus, have this mind among yourselves, okay? That's actually a theme that we see throughout the entire book of Philippians a lot. Have this mind, think this way, not that way. Have this heart, not that heart. Have one wife, not many women. Right? Yeah. Noted. And so church, what's our motivation? To live like this, to follow Jesus as Lord. What's our motivation? This is this is incredible. What's our incentive? Jesus humbled himself. Where is he today? What's his position? What's his current status? In the heavenly realms being exalted at the right hand of the Father. This is why our eschatology matters because what is coming for the ones who humble themselves is 10 billion times better than anything you could think up or imagine while you're living today? You try and think it up and then just go 10 billion times better. I don't know, why not? Because it's even better than that. That's where Jesus is. Why? Because he humbled himself. Remember the opening verses of this chapter, is there any encouragement? you're fledgling church plant, you're having a hard time, like whatever's going on. There are good things happening in Philippi. The church is growing. And, but if there's any encouragement, don't be encouraged by those things. Be encouraged by the. Is there any encouragement? Is there any consolation or fellowship? What's the encouragement? The encouragement is we get God. Those who will humble themselves, bow their knee and their tongue confess, we get God. That's your encouragement. We get him. The example of Jesus not only challenges us, the human form of Jesus not only gives us a way to live, but it also, church, casts a vision for the payoff of humbly submitting ourselves, surrendering to God. What's the payoff? We get God, we get the kingdom, Ephesians chapter one. In him we have obtained an inheritance in Christ, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's what we get. We don't have all the answers. We don't know exactly what that entails, but we know it's gonna be awesome. So let me wrap up with this. We tend to believe lies. We tend to believe lies. Every day I believe lies. Lies. I wake up and don't believe this stuff. I've had to pull my car over and just rehearse the gospel. Lord, remind me of your truth. Who am I? We believe lies. Number one, we believe that our sin is too much. Too deep, too terrible, too dark to be covered. I could never live quite like Jesus lived. I could never look like my Lord, my rabbi. I could never do that, I'm too much of a mess. And two, that even if our sin has been covered, we couldn't possibly live in a way that would please the Lord. There's no way that, like, that's really my inheritance. I'm too much of a mess. And my response is yes to both of those lies. They're actually kind of true in some weird way. I think your sin is too deep too. I think you're a big mess. I don't even really know a lot of you, but I think you're all messes. I judge you. That's what we do to each other. Guess who doesn't? Jesus. Do you believe that? He humbled himself so you wouldn't have to be humiliated. He humbled himself so he could welcome you into his presence. By grace through faith are you saved. Period. So yeah, one, I think your sin is too deep. too, he doesn't. And two, yes, it is impossible to live like Jesus because we aren't Jesus. Because of sin, we can't perfectly please God, but Jesus has pleased God on your behalf. So we don't have to please God. We get to. Jesus did that job for you. And because of that, the father looks at you and says, my, my child, my son, my daughter, you are welcomed into my presence. And believe this, believe this. He is honored and glorified as we humbly surrender to our curiosity, As we bow with the mention of his name, because church, at the mention of his name, we can do nothing else. You pray with me? Jesus, what what a passage this is. We thank you for your St. Paul for writing this, revealing more of who you are and your heart to us. And so Jesus, be big in our lives. Be curious. Bow our knees. Humble our hearts at the mention of your name. Let us respond, let us respond to your humility by seeking to be imitators of you. That in all things you might be glorified. A very amen, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. And a transition into a time of communion and remembrance. In the book of Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after praying over it, blessing the bread, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup and when he had given given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink all of it. Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You can, you can apply the Philippians 2, 5 through 11 there. It's humbly pouring out for you. It's not ours anymore. It's a bear, It's his. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's our inheritance. That's what's coming. And so church, I would invite you just to celebrate Jesus this morning in your heart. Humble yourself, surrender to him. We're all unbelievers. We can confess our unbelief to him. Ask him to reignite the belief to make it new to us again this morning. It's been really good being with you. And I pray that the Lord would use our time of communion now to receive honor and glory and praise.